Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 117 of The Pig Show, and also the first podcast that we're recording since we got back from Sea Otter down in Monterey, California. Now, you might have seen a bunch of articles on the homepage over the last week about it, but if you didn't, Sea Otter is a giant outdoor public trade show, festival, nonstop racing event that we were at for the last four days, covering all sorts of new tech, new bikes we haven't seen yet, a whole bunch of racing. We had Tom there doing some crazy racing. Kaz, he did the e-bike race, not on an e-bike. So we got that video coming whoa, whoa, out. Whoa. He did have flight attendants, so it's halfway there. Oh, true. Okay. He had some batteries. <laughs> he did have batteries, but not, not the kind he was supposed to have. Kaz, do you have a highlight of the show for me? Uh, I found this place in Monterey that makes really good crepes. I think that was my favorite part of the show. <laughs> the enthusiasm, Kaz, the enthusiasm. <laughs> what, about, what about from the show itself? <laughs> I feel like we talked about this a lot, but I I mean, I like just seeing people and they're all happy. Yeah, it doesn't but... have to be new gear. Maybe, yeah, it's just seeing everybody for the first time yeah. in years. I talked with Chris Chance, which I always like because when I was a kid, I wanted a, a fat chance. Like I wanted a fat chance, yo, Eddie, then more than most things and so he's still making frames he's down in uh, oregon now but yeah he's just kind of a legendary frame builder so i got to chat with him he's always super nice like and friendly so that's probably one of the highlights yeah kaz i was i was sort of thinking that you're going to say that you were going to say that your highlight was doing another sea otter with me it's been a while it's been it was nice yeah that was a highlight too yeah it was good to see you we even got to share a hotel room (laughs) together it's like old times like the old days right (laughs) (laughs) yeah God, you snore so loud, but it's like music to my ears. It just puts me uh-huh. right to sleep, guys. It's great. I need to record you and then take it with me other places. So then when I can't sleep, which is usually all the time, I could just play like your gentle snoring to lull me into sleep. Yeah, did I mind. snore? I didn't know I snored. Yeah. I've when, never heard that. when I used to work on the, one of the race teams, there was this guy that would snore and you'd wake him up and go, mate, you're snoring. And he would be asleep. He'd start arguing with you. No, I'm not. And you'd be like, what? It's not a debate. Just stop. Like, he'd be like trying to roll him over. So annoying. <laughs> no, Kaz, you don't snore at all. You're great. You're great to sleep beside. Henry, you weren't at Sea Otter. No. But from a distance, from back in mm-hmm. Squamish, because I know you clicked on every Sea Otter article. Every link and article. <laughs> yeah. What was... The highlight of Sea Otter for you, just as a fan, since you weren't working um, the trade show. Oof. Um, <laughs> really put me in a tight spot here, Levy. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I liked, I liked the dogs of Sea Otter. There were some real, real cuties yeah, in there. That and, was the um, best, the best article from Sea Otter, I would argue. <laughs> Heavy hitting. Yeah, I mean, I think the things that interested me um, were some of the sort of like the kind of the conversations that you saw there was a good interview with Elliot Jackson and Cathro and um also there were some pieces that I like quite liked for instance about I know people bike brands that still treat it as a real event like that new orange which is I'm kind of excited about just because it broke cover we're not letting uh, you test it just so you know (laughs) was that they're not letting me no we're not letting you we're too British (laughs) oh I was like they're not letting what (laughs) I think I would do a great job I would do a great job well aside from the aside from the dog article i think the highlight for me i'm going to toot my own horn and brian's horn here a little bit actually we did that podcast interview with dustin i think brian asked some good questions and that was a a pretty good conversation i think dustin was an open book about a hell of a lot of stuff about challenges and some of the advantages of manufacturing stuff in canada in north america on his own uh so that was pretty good that was episode 116 so if you haven't seen it Definitely listen to that. You know what else was there? A hell of a lot of mountain bikers and a hell of a lot of mountain bikes, boys, which kind of makes for ideal fodder for today's podcast topic, mountain biking cliches. We've got a hell of a lot of ground to cover on this one. But before we start making fun of everything, including ourselves and Pink Bike, I just want to warn you all that we're probably going to make fun of something that you like or maybe your bike, or just some little things like how you talk or dress or act. But we're going to have fun (laughs) with it. (laughs) So just remember, we're making fun of ourselves. These are like tired, worn out cliches. And we've got a big list of them that we're going to go through later on in the show. But first, guys, I got to do an ad read. So here we go. 
This week's Pink Bike Podcast is presented by Evo. In-store, online, all the time. Evo offers high-quality mountain bike gear, from parts and accessories to full rigs and anything else you might need to explore the world on two wheels. The latest bike models are currently in at Evo from brands like Santa Cruz, Juliana, Norco, Marin, and Revel. Explore our selection and shop now at evo.com or stop by in-store and kick the tires. Getting pretty decent at that ad read, Kaz. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm going to go kick tires now. Just go in a bike yeah. shop and start kicking tires everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, One Kaz. Second. Stop there for a sec. My fridge just turned on. Can you hear that? I'm going to turn it off just to be sure. All right, Kaz. Now that Henry has turned his fridge off, let's let's get into this week's news, starting with World Cup racing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is a good race for you, huh? We'll start with, on the women's side... Rebecca McConnell, she got her first World Cup win, so that's pretty big news. But I think the biggest news, at least for you, Levy, old Nino, he equaled Julian Absalon's 33. Uh, he's getting there. I mean, he's got 33 World Cup wins. He can't be that young. Like, you can't rack that up if you're a youngster. So, um, yeah, so now he's tied with Julian well, he Absalon. He looked pretty young on the weekend, Kaz. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive. He's still winning. And do you think he's going to win another one? He's got to get break that record? Or is he going to? Yes. This is his last one. Yeah, yeah he's going to? Yeah. This yeah, year? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he's going to get it this year. He might win the rest of them, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Well, moving on from World Cup XC to a former World Cup downhiller, we've got Mick Hanna just signed with Yeti. Um, and then we also have Keegan Wright signed with Yeti as well. So two new faces on that team. It's not really clear exactly what races they'll be doing because you know, last I checked, Mick was retired. But it'd be interesting to see where he pops up. He did get fourth in the downhill race at Sea Otter, and then Keegan won the dual slalom. So, pretty good debut for those two. Not not too bad of a signing. Timely too, I would say, by Yeti. Right? <laughs> Didn't they sign them just before this? Yeah, I feel like it was a couple of days before Sea Otter. Those guys got got on the roster, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. It's, I mean, Keegan's always been fast. He does more of those crankworks type events, like he's a pump track slalom king, and then Mick's just good at most things, especially suicide no hander. So be good to see him doing some stuff apparently he's pretty good at retiring as well too he still gets fourth absolutely ridiculous <laughs> I, know. I wonder what else he's gonna race we'll see enduro mick I don't know. Enduro I mick? So. do you think they'll be incorporated into the yeti that the whole the same program that the ews team's on because i've heard through the grapevine that mick has sort of a aspiration to race some ews and i don't think i think keegan no i don't imagine he's probably hanging up his ews boots just yet I yeah. wonder if they'll be pitting with Richard Rude, et cetera, or, or what? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see which ones they go to. Maybe just select select events. I'm sure, I know I know Rich will be doing all of the EWS races, but I wouldn't be surprised to see either of these guys showing up at some of them. Um, yeah, so cool to see. Henry, you were a mechanic on the Polygon team with Mick for a while. Mm. Did he ever, has he ever done, um, excuse my ignorance, but has he ever done any EWS racing before in the past? He's done a couple. Yeah, but maybe in that same period that, you know, Greg Menard and all that were kind of dabbling. Um, he hasn't done any for a couple of years, though. Okay. Maybe interesting. 2017 would have been his last one or something. Yeah. Do you think he could do well at this stuff? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, you know, I, let's be very, very real. I think the days of you going from downhill and just suddenly being, you know, going from someone that could threaten a top 20 to being a really big fish in the pond and EWS are over. Um, that said, Mick's an incredibly determined person. He structured his whole training around explosive power for downhill. So I imagine if he, he reworked that and he did a bit of conditioning, like he's going to be a, he's going to be a force, whatever he does. Um, and you know, the things that he's good at are just, he has, you know, he's so strong mentally. He loves riding his bike and he is, unbelievably smooth and you know you got to think those are also pretty good ingredients for a very good ews racer too yep agreed all right well moving on to some news in a little different vein we have a recovered stolen bike ceramic speed had their prototype carbon shaft drive bike stolen this is a wild looking thing just uses a solid shaft from the um to activate basically no chain and it got stolen and the thief not a genius he walked into a shop with another of the bikes that he stole and a pair of bolt cutters sticking out of his backpack so immediately the uh the employees called the police and he was arrested and so they've recovered them so that's good news probably not the smartest thief which is great because that means 
Yeah. Kaz, I know you've you've done lots of bike shop time. I bet that you've recovered all sorts of stolen bikes during that time like I have, eh? Yeah, definitely a couple. Like a bike would come in and be fully spray painted and a lot of times it'd be like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna put this in the stand and why don't you wait over here? And then I'll just call the cops and get the guy <laughs> yeah. to get picked up. Because sometimes I'd recognize one time I recognized my buddy's bike that had gotten stolen just a few days before and it comes in all rattle can. I was like, oh, that's, you know, Josh's bike. That's just gonna hold this over here while I, you know, write up an estimate for you. So, Give it an extra happens. long tune up while the guy waits and the cops yeah, exactly. come. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So. yeah. We we used to lock bikes to the repair stand. When they were, mm-hmm. when a stolen bike would come in. Yeah, yeah it's a good tactic. So, so, but either way, good news for ceramic speed. Glad that thing. Does that just mean that you get a repair stand stolen as well? <laughs> yeah, but can't just can't it all Oh, no. <laughs> Giant, like, 300-pound park <laughs> repair stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the final bit of news actually just happened just an well, hour or so ago. SRAM has launched some new DB8 brakes. And the big news is that they use mineral oil instead of dot fluid. Uh, SRAM has always kind of touted the benefits of dot fluid. You know, it's better uh, range of operating temperatures and all kinds of magical properties. But now they've got a brake that uses mineral oil. Um, it looks like this at first, this will be on OEM brake, sorry, OEM bikes. So just showing up on complete bikes, you won't be able to purchase them aftermarket for a little while. I do think you're going to probably see them on e-bikes to start. Um, just designed to be a low maintenance. Low maintenance is basically the the trait that they're mentioning the most with these brakes. Supposedly, you don't have to bleed them. Once a year, you can go two full years without bleeding them, which is pretty impressive claims. Kaz, I find it, I mean, okay, so you have a company that has been using, you know, X forever and X is the best, but now something else has come out and it's using something different. I mean, from SRAM's point of view, this is probably like, maybe I could see it being kind of tricky to navigate, you know, like dot fluid was supposed to be the mm-hmm. one we're supposed to be using, but now these brakes have mineral oil. Why do they have mineral oil? What's just the, I guess the longer bleed periods, I guess, but why weren't they doing yeah, it on it's all more the stability? Like, well, the one thing that the dot fluid you can use supposedly, like this is according to SRAM, but they say that with dot fluid, you can use seals that have less friction um, and they have a higher range of operating temperatures. Like they're not as affected by heat um, or cold for that matter. So, that, so dot fluid still has like superior properties basically, but you know, a lot of people don't need that necessarily. We're going to talk about cliches later on, but something that always has irked me is this myth that, oh, but mineral fluid, you could practically drink it. It's just baby oil. Oh, <laughs> definitely God. cannot drink mineral oil. Don't it's drink so mineral oil. Anytime I've done it, it works damaging. out super bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, honestly, it, oh God, I don't know why it angers me so much. It just, it just like, it's the naivety posing as expertise, mm-hmm. which is a brand that I'm trying to work myself and anyone that infringes upon that, I kind of <laughs> yes. get, my, get my back up a bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you definitely can't drink it. But yeah, it was also interesting. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, SRAM came out with this. It was a really well done video about brakes and basically just the basics of braking and how they work. And they had a little piece in there about mineral oil and they kind of presented it as it works pretty good, but not quite as good as dot fluid, but it exists. It was almost like a little kind of trojan horse sort of like crack the door open a little bit like a little sneaky marketing from them but yeah 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 mm. that's i wonder how confusing this is going to be for people down the road kaz so we've got these two sram brakes am i correct in saying the top and the bottom end they're the same which the seals are different but one uses mineral oil one uses dot fluid what, what is sram doing for that well they have a different bleed system too so that you can't mix up the you can't put the dot fluid in the mineral oil brakes or vice versa, which is good. Um, so they've definitely tried to make sure that people aren't getting confused by which fluids to put in their yeah. brakes. Yeah. Hey, I have a, I have a question about... oil in both or... <laughs> I like milk. I run milk in my brakes. <laughs> <laughs> Full fat, just like my granddaddy did. <laughs> hey, I have, a, I have a question for you guys about dot brake fluid. I read comments where people are saying they prefer mineral oil just because it's not as corrosive as as traditional dot brake fluid. But for me, like, if I'm bleeding my brakes that use dot fluid and I get a little bit on my bike, like, you just wipe it off. Like, that's not... Yeah, but... That's not a factor. Am I maybe being... I might be getting the wrong end of the stick here, but mineral and synthetic is just too large, like, umbrella terms. It's not really saying suggesting anything about what's in there because you're going to put loads of additives or whatever you need into that mineral oil so at its base you could get a mineral oil that is very you know like like yeah like baby oil 
But once you put a load of petrol and baby oil, it's not baby oil anymore. It's gonna it's gonna corrode your skin. Yeah, it's gonna do all no, that sort of stuff. Uh, I think that there's still like whatever's in dot fluid is definitely nastier than whatever you would put into mineral. It oil. is, but like it's it can still. Then neither one's good, but like dot fluid can good. take off. I've never seen mineral oil take paint off a bike. Where dot mm. fluid can. I've never seen dot so, fluid take like, paint off you, either. Just wipe it off. When yeah, you have spell I seen it. dot fluid take paint off a bike? Yeah. If you lift it on for long enough, it will. But like most people wipe it off. Yeah, mm, obviously. Yeah. But again, like if you're dealing with it, like you should definitely be wearing gloves for either. But like dot fluid, you should really be wearing gloves. And especially well, if it gets like aerosolized, it's not good for you. Like neither is good, but dot fluid is worse, like in the chemical standpoint. Levy's Levy's gravel bikes in the studio, so I'll go drip some mineral and some dot fluid on the <laughs> yeah. top tube and we'll just give it a couple of days. Yeah. Just put it on the brake pads. That's how you can tell. The front brake pads and the rear brake pads. We'll drop <laughs> yeah. on each and then we yeah. can just see. <laughs> yeah. All right, but, Kaz, before we uh, move on, do we know anything about the future of SRAM brakes? Is this the first of many mineral oil? Are they going to be moving to mineral oil, or is this just a different kind of branch? I think it's just a different branch. As far as I can tell, Like, I don't, I don't think you're going to see a wholesale switchover for their higher-end stuff. I think this is kind of a new um, lower to mid-level product. But again, I don't really know the future for these, so we'll see. All right. Well, there you go. Let's move on to questions. Uh, this first one is from Explodo. This is more of a comment. He says, new bikes are fun because it starts a new round of fiddling. It's very satisfying satisfying to be able to fiddle a bike into being as good as it can be. Kicks off buying new parts. Uh, and who doesn't like new parts? It kind of got me thinking, Henry, what is the last bike part that you got yourself that you didn't need? Just like something that you wanted. Oh, uh, let's have a think. A bike part that I didn't need. I've, I'm going through. So I've heard of this invention, guys, and it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know if you guys have tried it, but it's these pedals. And it sounds crazy, but they have a metal thing on the bottom of your shoe. And you can okay. actually engage with the pedal. And then your feet are <laughs> in the pedal. They can get out the pedal, but then they can go back in the pedal. And they're pretty good actually I'd suggest trying them and I've been doing a bit of this recently and I mean it's crazy because you get in the pedal but you can get out the pedal it's pretty sick do you do you not usually clip it and that's something I've been experimenting with (laughs) have you done it too yeah I usually do both I have used both (laughs) kinds of pedals but yeah I know you've only used the one kind so this is good opening yeah I used to ride clips ages ago and then I've owed flats maybe the last three years, four years. And um, yeah, trying clips and actually having a really, really good time. So what my luxury that I haven't really... Because it was a field test where on those down country bikes and Kaz basically sent me a message being like, you're not wearing your big boy floaty um, flat pedals on these bikes, thank you very much. And I knuckled down and, and got into some clips. Um, but yeah, just experimenting with that setup and actually running some uh, Crank Brothers Mallet Ease and I got some zero degree float cleats and it's been great. Nice. Have you That's had any course. tip overs? Like, have you come to a stop in an intersection, forgot to unclip and fallen over? No, I'm pretty good because I, I grew up riding road bikes. So I do lead out with my heel. The thing oh, that yeah. I don't like them for is actually climbing. I can't. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not. the. I like the power, but it's the really awkward, slow, like kind of trousy stuff. It sketches me out. Oh, yeah. So for me, I really hate it. <laughs> for me, I like the commitment that they bring to tech climbs. Like, you know, the climbs where you have to lower mm. your seat a little bit. When I'm on platform pedals, mm. I'll I'll give up long before I'll give up when I'm using like my HTs that I'm like permanently locked into my bike. And if I don't clean it, I'm going <laughs> to fall over and break my wrist. <laughs> you know, so it's like some momentum to clean it. <laughs> because I've seen you get into those HTs and you pretty much just get your missus to spot whale doing in the morning hey and like push you out the door like a track cyclist you're not getting out no that's it <laughs> i don't want to pull out too much power yeah. all right what about you yeah, Kaz? Man. when when is what's the last thing you got for your bike that you didn't need well at seattle i got one of those sprockets from five dev the space oh, yeah. sprocket yeah it's like a fancy looking thing i'm gonna install that i definitely don't need a new chain ring at the moment but it looks cool it looks like it's from the 1960s but like a like a yeah futuristic sci-fi looking sprocket so yeah i don't need that but i'm gonna install it and see how it works i tell you what sorry something i'm really excited about i got a steering damper um really they still make i'm really excited to try that yeah from who it's kind of sort of under wraps and i can't really say 
but I want to experiment with going short because I want a 50 mil stem and stock just because I like I don't like it to get too twitchy on the front but I'm interested to mm-hmm. slow down your steering with the steering damper and then go to a shorter stem and yeah I'm kind of excited to try it but it hasn't been announced it's like a new company because who was it before like Hopi 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 was the old company I just said right? they sorted me out and I said I wouldn't mention it and now I'm talking about it and I've, I immediately regret it so can we move on yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, I'm just curious too much. that's I'll, interesting I'll tell you about it later I'm just what curious how does it attach because mm-hmm. it works with single crown forks I I'm not talking about it I, I ain't talking about it baby <laughs> yeah. that's interesting I think Saks mm. used to make one too it's nothing that but, exciting it's just I'm excited but yeah. I think he's just over tightening his headset. Yeah, exactly. He just took out yeah, the, one of the variants and just cranks it down. <laughs> I just take out one of the spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or you can just probably do some like inner tube stuff like the slope style guys do. Just like wrap yeah. some mm. stuff around. Henry, when will we hear more about this steering damper? Um, when I get off my ass and start testing it. All right, Kaz, our last question. This is from Biking Bros. He wants to know will there ever be a downhill bike field test? Kaz, we've been talking about it. Will there ever be one? Yeah, we're trying to, I think. Don't hold me to this, but I'm hoping we get one going at the end of this year. So in the fall sometime, um, bike availability and kind of making sure we can get the latest and greatest downhill bikes in the mix are, is part of the thing. But um, yeah, we'll get Matt Beer. Obviously, Matt Beer will be one of the testers. And I know Henry wants to I'll try out some downhill one, right? bikes. And I like hey. riding. You can ride some downhill bikes. We can all ride downhill <laughs> bikes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited for the last couple of years without having Whistler as easily accessible. It's kind of been a little downhill bike withdrawal so we're definitely got some plans uh, and we also have just regular downhill bike tests in the works as well is that where we're going to hopefully have it at whistler i hope so yeah i'd like that to be a good place for it because whistler is one of the best places to des- test anything so yeah again nothing set in stone but hopefully the end of the season or closer towards the end of the season we'll get some downhill bike testing going i still haven't ridden whistler that could be my first time what <laughs> yeah <laughs> I feel like I remember you saying you didn't like chairlifts or something. Was that true? Yeah, I don't like he... chairlifts, berms, or people. That's that's what I always yeah. say about bike parks. Me they have too, a gondola. You can go, really go by yourself. But it's really fun. I love Henry. riding. I love riding downhill bikes. I think you know, <laughs> Henry's going to be pushing up, just pushing up. <laughs> it's a weird combination. <laughs> no, I will happily ride a chairlift. But once I ride a downhill bike, my kind of I'm, I don't know to my detriment. I quite like to settle up myself a little goals or targets or like ideas i want to do and on a downhill bike that's completely reset and i'm very happy to ride a chairlift when i'm on a pedal bike i find it really hard to be like i'm not going to pedal it anymore but on a downhill bike a chairlift is so good i feel like once you ride whistler you're going to take back a lot of the things you've said about chairlifts and riding things and we'll we'll get you out there we'll see how it goes you're very very sweet you underestimate just how stubborn i am i know but i've also ridden whistler a lot so i feel yeah, like henry we'll, get you, we'll make you happy up there i think chairlifts are dumb i think bike parks are dumb i don't like it and you know what happens mm-hmm. when i go to whistler mm-hmm. i have the best day of my life every time i go there it's freaking amazing i know it's so fun like, don't, I'm, I'm sure you're right but I, I i'm i you're right what can i say you're right but i will never want to ride that on an enduro bike because because I would just be like, fuck, I could just pedal up this thing. Or I could go ride any of them. No. Well, yeah, that's not even worth going down until we get out, until the lift's open. We just go and you'll be like, it'll be fine. But I don't want you to dig yourself too deep of a hole. <laughs> we need to do like, a, give me a, a post-race shovel. or a post-Whistler, <laughs> a post-Whistler podcast with Henry. Yeah, exactly. We could do yeah. just do like one of those, you know, those Zoom mics when we could just do it on the chairlift just between runs and just see me just gradually soften. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, yeah. Well, Airline's that okay. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I'll do another run. <laughs> hey, hey, Henry, we're going to go off on a little tangent here. I remember mm-hmm. a podcast from oh, months and months ago. You were going off about how you don't want electronics on your bike. Yeah. So this is down the same, same vein, how we're going to change your mind about Whistler. Yes. So... Henry, I, I have to give you some kudos because you came over to my place and you grabbed mm-hmm. an Axis Grupo and you said, if I'm going to talk shit, I need to know more yeah. about this. I need to try it. So it's been months now. Uh, obviously, you've been on the road doing some stuff, but you've also ridden that Axis stuff a lot. No, I've ridden it a shit ton, yeah. I've had it over... The thing I find with Axis is, I mean, credit where it's due, the impact it's taken has been amazing like the shifting is still as consistent as it was before and on one of the mechs I've actually completely cracked the casing all around the, the like, <laughs> that better not off. be mine and that's not the point but <laughs> it is interesting is you know when you see um, it's a bit it looks a bit like the Terminator when it gets his skin taken off you know yeah. it's like this just mess of a 
you know but it's amazing and it's done really well however i feel with access the shifting isn't isn't as good as say xtr or xt i feel like when everything's perfectly aligned it works so so well but i feel like there could be a small tolerance that's not the not the max fault maybe even just in the bike and it just exposes that and i would i'd be lying if i said i found the shifting to be as consistent across all bikes as i do with cable and i think it's a really interesting thing because if you look at say watches like you get an expensive watch and it's better that it's not digital you know it's better that it's just mechanic and then with bikes we're like because it could be the bike is the super high tech thing it could be that the the actual equivalent of electronic mechs isn't rolex it's actually your casio but i'm not to say hmm so you're still anti-batteries on all your bikes it sounds like i honestly man i've got this bike so i got my got it on my spire actually and what i've done is that i've got an excess dropper which is very good i'd like if it's a little bit longer but it is very good but i've actually managed to run my rear hose through the what was the seat tube line no the gear line and so i have internal routing on my spire it looks so clean the shifting is very good um is it quite as good no do i forgive it for that yes and also i think i had a dud battery which was really making me angry for a long time and i've taken it out the cycle now and the because before i was getting like one ride and it was dying and i was just going absolutely mad um but now it's actually really really good i get a couple of rides out of it yeah that's good Hmm. should get even more than a couple of rides but yes your rides might be really really long but yeah yeah I mean, it's, it's the way it is that, you know, like you get a ride and then you lean your bike up against something that's slightly touching the mech and then drains the battery yeah. for a bit, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So then I get probably a week's worth of riding out of a battery pretty comfortably. Yeah. 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 Would you would you keep it on your bike, Henry, just before we move on? Yes, I would. But if someone said, here's an XDR group set or an AXS group set, AXS group set, I'd take the XDR. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Kudos to you for trying. When I don't like stuff, I just don't use it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think for me, it is good. It is, it is good, but also, it's not, it's not the remedy to all the all the shifting ills. I think if they got the shifting better, you couldn't, you couldn't ignore it. But for me, priority is shifting, and then the other bits, the the cleanness of the lines or the wireless nature of it, that that then comes in, or the impact resistance, but. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't think they weren't building the concept around the idea that it is going to be this super Halo product and then they're kind of, you know, the wireless features, etc. And then they're making a really good mech rather than getting something that shifts incredibly well and then seeing which is the best way to facilitate that. SRAM will disagree with that, which, fair cop, you can only respect that that's what they're saying. But in my opinion, that's how it is. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, let's move on to today's chat. We're going to start talking about mountain biking's best, or maybe worst, depending on how you look at it, cliches by talking about ourselves. Uh, We're going to talk about those overused, worn out, and tired adjectives that we, Kaz, we just, we run out of them. I think you and I and Henry and everybody else at Pink Bike have been guilty of some terrible, terrible cliche crimes over the years. Kaz, can you explain what it's like? to write a bike review and you need to like talk about how well this bike climbs just like throw me some words (laughs) yeah i mean i like to think that i don't use too many cliches on purpose because yeah you do want to say that it climbs like whatever you know like a goat or one of those the goat one i don't think we've ever used hopefully not at least not in the last decade because that one was dead before it even arrived but I mean, I can think of one of yours that still bothers me because for a while you'd be reviewing, I think you're reviewing a bunch of saddles and you kept talking about how your taint looked like an open can of tuna fish and it <laughs> yeah. turned into a, it turned into a cliche because it kept having this line about your taint looks like an open can of tuna and it's just like, it's burned in my brain. So you can't use that phrase anymore. It was original at first I, and then it turned into like, just painful. <laughs> I, I've used it a few times. I think it accurately describes some of the challenges that I could face when I'm testing <laughs> different seats, you know, it so was like, clever. and I couldn't think of anything else besides an open can of tuna that accurately described what my taint looked like. It's revolting, Levy. It's, it's that, horrible. That, that's, that's a bit rich for me. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit rich for me. <laughs> you know what else I'm guilty of? I've definitely also said, 
I say this probably two or three times a year, like corners like it's on rails. Like sometimes like when I'm writing a review, Kaz, you know, you get to something and you're just like, I'm empty. I have no more words that work for this. Levy, <laughs> you know? do, you know do you know what you're guilty of? Leaving me to write six of those fucking down country reviews back to back by the last one i was like how many more things can i say about a bike with 120 mil of travel i was there just like leave it you're a real piece of shit that's it's it's tricky though isn't it let's talk about this for a minute like it's tricky like we run out of words basically especially when we're writing all these reviews back to back to back and then i tell you what i thought was absolutely amazing mike sorry matt beer said that that status was like a sloped Euro cross bike and somebody was like ripping into him like you don't know what you're talking about that's just nonsense do you know what matt did he went and raced it as sea otter <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he did the dual slalom on it it's like show you guys yeah, and it's like yeah that was it, a, sl- a sloped Euro slalom bike and uh-huh. like, you don't know what you're talking about and he's like actually as it happened <laughs> just turns up on this entry level status and just shreds the shit out of it yeah did he beat who did he he beat somebody no he got out i was thinking of someone else the never mind yeah the pink bike yeah i was thinking tebow beating mckenna but that was different he was not on a specialized status because people get people get angry too like when we're writing something and we're we're trying to describe what's going on and use some new words i mean people get angry if we like that example with matt is a is a perfect example you know or like calling something down country like that it kind of like it's tongue-in-cheek we're just joking but it accurately describes it as well too but everybody gets super angry yeah i mean we've even had like commenters get mad about using words that are unfamiliar or too big like i use the word i think i've mentioned this before maybe on the podcast but one time i used the word modicum and people didn't know what it meant and you know google and dictionaries exist for a reason but people there was like multiple comments like what are you getting all fancy like i mean it's not that crazy of a word (laughs) i wasn't using a really obscure term but yeah it's just funny i mean it's People like to have opinions about everything. So even our vocabulary. But I think the idea about the way that we categorize bikes, like anything is, is just very interesting because if you say something's a trail bike, to us, we're not saying it to tell you everything you could ever need to know about this bike. We're actually using it as a time-saving device because we know what a trail bike sort of represents. And then we can go on to the next thing and talk about greater detail. But there is also the other side where they think that people are trying to categorize bikes constantly and sometimes inanely and then they feel that like oh you don't need to categorize it down country doesn't need to be a thing and it's like listen we're not saying down country is an absolute ironclad set of definitions but we are just saying this is the kind of bike it is it's just a descriptive word just you know just like light or heavy it's just like mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. relative to other things yeah you call it whatever yeah. it could be just a, a two bike a one bike a three bike it's just a thing but down country at least for me yeah. now it does make sense like someone says they're making a do down country bike like, okay i've got an idea what that might be like and then we check it out yes it's like that bike's yeah. stupid you you know that bike sucks <laughs> right away right guys <laughs> I'm, I'm not opposed to down country that spur i ride my spur all the time and i'd say that's a down country bike so yeah 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 you know you know what i can't stand doing at the end of videos remember to like and subscribe and also and also the youtube thumbnail things those things to me those oh, cliches the yeah i understand yeah. i understand they work like you got to have the person the person's face making the big smiling thing like pointing at something or looking surprised or whatever but it just it kills me a little bit that they work and that i always say remember to like and subscribe at the end of the videos Ugh. yeah it's hard yeah, I don't know if that's just like a don't cliche. Do it, man. Just, yeah, you could just not do it, but I think like the thumbnails and things have just been think for yourself, work. sheeple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The, the thumbnails. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, know, I think the whole YouTube thing is becoming that the format of a YouTube video is, is becoming a cliche in itself. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Okay, let's talk about bike brands for a few minutes, and we're not picking on anybody specifically here, but let, let's start with Yeti. Yeti owners being dentists. Is there any truth to this, Kaz? Where does it come from? What's the deal? I mean, I'm positive that there are plenty of dentists that own Yetis, but there are also probably plenty of dentists that own Santa Cruz's and Diamondbacks and whatever other bike you could name. But um, yeah, I think it came because Yeti is a higher end brand. Their bikes tend to cost more than some other brands. So I think that, you know, dentists tend to have a decent amount of money for fixing all those teeth. And I think that's that's where that came from. Somebody must have said it a couple times in some comments and it just kind of caught on as being the dentist brand, which 
it's fine, but it also just kind of gets old too. And someone's just always like dentist, dentist. Like, yeah, I, maybe cause I hate dentists more than most things. So when I just see the word, I get like, it makes me cringe. So yeah, that might be why I don't like that cliche. If, Sorry, if there dentists, are any dentists listening, if there are any dentists listening who own Yetis, definitely comment in the comment section below and say, hi, <laughs> we'd love to meet you. <laughs> okay, Kaz, what about Pacific Northwest riders with Tacomas and flannels and rooftop tents? That's got to be a huge cliche. Yeah, that's almost like a stereotype that's true. There's so many Tacomas. And I don't understand because Tacomas are really, really expensive. And those rooftop tents aren't cheap either. Right. But they all have them. And I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen one set up. I just see them driving around with a rooftop tent on top of their Tacoma. And then you need the little cool things that go underneath your wheels if you get stuck in the mud. Oh, yeah. And like sometimes, yeah. sometimes you get like the high, was it the high lift or the high? That's what it's called, right? The high lift that like Jeepers have. Yeah, the jack. Yeah, the jack. Sometimes yeah. people have those too. That's kind of like a cliche thing because I'd like to know how many people have ever actually used it. And then they put the gas or the water tanks on the yeah. side of the the cage for the rooftop tent. Mm-hmm. Now, to, to be fair, I mean, the trucks are beautiful and lots of people use them. Like if you go down a forest service road in Squamish Valley, every turnoff, you'll see like a herd of Tacomas with rooftop tents grazing, you know, and a, and a, and a fire <laughs> and the smell of weed and cans of beer everywhere and maybe some shotgun sounds. But man, they're everywhere. There are other trucks, you know, yeah, get a different a truck. <laughs> yeah. But if anyone has a Tacoma, they just want to give me, I'll take one. But yeah. But yeah, it is kind of cliche. It's almost like the mountain biker starter kit. I think we've teased about that before. Like if you want to be a real Pacific Northwest mountain biker, you have to go get all these certain things and fit yeah. in. I think that's, that's the first step though. Once you become more successful or you're a little bit older in life, the next step, Kaz, is to get yourself a $150,000 Sprinter van. Yeah, especially when, yeah, the one, the sprinters with the four by four kit on it, and then you're just ready for anything. Right. It's again, like it's, yeah, it's great that people have these things, but man, I don't like hotels aren't that expensive. And if I had a hundred thousand dollars extra, I could stay in so many hotels and go on so many trips that it would like last longer than I have the sprinter. But I guess, I mean, they don't have the hundred thousand dollars. Usually that's the thing. Usually it's like, it's a loan. It's not like there's a hundred thousand or $150,000 sitting in the bank and people are buying sprinter vans. I I mean, I'm just assuming I definitely people are buying sprinter vans with their savings out there for sure. But I think it's different than that. But yeah, no, they're still paying that amount of money. But like, so say you get, I don't know how long car loans are like five years. That's still like 20 grand a year. Think of how many hotels you could stay in for 20 grand a year. Like that's so many road trips. But I mean, it's good. The van life thing, it's its own little niche. Like I don't want to be too mean to people that do that but it is crazy how many sprinter vans are out there that do cost a hundred thousand dollars like it's just yeah i don't like when people are i try not to be jealous of people for having money because i don't like that trend you know it's just like if people are working hard and making money whatever spend on what you want but it is it is pretty wild how many sprinter vans exist in the world that i don't think ever go off road that's not what you were saying just before we started this recording you were quoting marks talking about the jacobite you know you were sharpening your guillotine blade weren't you yeah homemade and making one at home (laughs) did either of you guys ever dream of getting a sprinter van when you were younger and doing that doing that life no no No. they didn't exist i lived in a 1985 mazda for six weeks and that was enough for me never going back baby when i was a kid we had a 15 passenger (laughs) van like a ford um whatever ford van because there's so many of us kids so I think I've lived a van life before the van life was around and I never really like, <laughs> I do have a van now too. I mean, you know, I do have the GMC Safari, but that's like the opposite of a sprinter van <laughs> Yeah, and it definitely yeah. didn't cost hundred grand, but yeah. I always, what, I always dreamed of doing the van tripping, the van life thing, but I tell you what, I'm recording this from a hotel right now with a super comfortable bed and like a nice hot shower. And afterwards I'm going to go downstairs and get pancakes. It's going to be great. <laughs> and it's way better than a van. But I think that, I don't know. Maybe this is me being the same guy that was complaining about Whistler, even though he knows he'd have a lovely time there, is going to say the same things now. And so feel free to just deride me and call me a prat. But there's just this, I mean, we talk about a cliche, but I think a huge part of it is just like fitting in with the, with the aesthetic. And I just mm-hmm. see like, so from my house, which I live like basically in Garibaldi Heights. So it's like 200 meters climb to get to the bottom of the trails, which is fine. And people like loading up their sprinter vans and it's like quicker to ride than just to drive. It's like definitely quicker to ride. And it's like, oh God, like this big, huge van with all these off-road tires and like 
kit and all this stuff just to drive up a tarmac road so they can sit at the bottom of Sudo Suda. And it's just like, basically, I want to go outside. I want to be really gnarly. I want to feel really remote, but it needs to be all on my terms. It's just like, ugh, <laughs> makes me just cringe. Just like, just pedal for God's sake. Although, to be fair, I've definitely been in a lot of nice sprinter vans. They're pretty nice cars. Like, I would say that most of those sprinter van co- conversions are nicer than where I currently live, the house I currently live in. <laughs> Bigger, too. <laughs> <I agree. laughs> yeah. No, yeah, like, that's the thing. They are nice. I do get it, especially if you are in a place where you do have to drive a lot for, like, for, you know, road trips. If you're road tripping every weekend, a sprinter van makes a ton of sense. But I, when you're doing it as, like, your daily driver to the trailhead that's a mile away, it just seems silly. So we're making fun of lots of Pacific Northwest stuff, but let's move across the ocean here. You know one of my favorite things to make fun of? Europeans who only do front wheel pivots and smoke cigarettes and ride... Uh, Henry, what are they called? Funiculars? Funiculars? Funiculars, You know those yeah. lift things? Funiculars. Yeah. <laughs> is that wrong? Well, the thing about European riders is that you will see someone, you know... They're definitely less concerned with looking looking cool. They genuinely give less of a shit. Yeah. And they don't care so much about looking like they don't give a shit. So you won't see flannel shirts and shotgunning beers and stuff, but you will see someone in 1995 Diodore MTB shoes with the cleat underneath the toe in full body armor going faster on like a 2008 Banshee than you ever could. You know, no peak on the helmet, ski goggles, just shredding the living shit out of it and there's this very particular breed of like european rider that is so sketchy but so fast and you know you do get some like ones that are kind of kooky but you do get some ones that just shred so hard as well and just in the most bizarre get up you know giving like kind of just like how you would skiing you know you got slidey sticks and that's all you need you got a bike and you'll be all right henry how many of your european friends also smoke cigarettes and how many cigarettes do you smoke when you go biking? <laughs> I mean, when do I stop, really? Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that was a real question. Oh, I mean, none. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, what? <laughs> no, maybe one or two smoke. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was riding last year and this guy brought out a vape, like a vape pen, which I thought was quite interesting. I hadn't seen that before mid-ride just yeah. puffing away yeah. but um no it's not it's not really a big thing so there's no there's there's not as much truth to that as i would like to see it have eh? none i mean i would like to see i know everyone's gonna complain to me for this i'd I li- i'd like to see more smoking in cycling i think it's a really nice aesthetic <laughs> i'd like to see you know 20 pack stuff down the arm of, of the use on the uci podium i'd like it but it's not really as much you know, I'd like to see them conduct the UCI World Cup podiums with cigarettes, bit of brandy, kind of bring like a 70s snooker vibe to it, you know? Dude, think of all that cigarette sponsorship money you were missing out on. Jeez. Yeah, oh mate, totally. It's for the good of the sport. We need more smoking. Maybe if there's some way we can like link in with the opioid pandemic, that would be great. Right? <laughs> all right. Big since, money. Since we're talking about smokers... Is there any truth to e-bikers being lazy? That's a that's a that's a cliche that people go on and on about. That e-bikers only ride e-bikes because they don't like climbing. Henry well, we're sat here with the Pacific Northwest's most prominent e-biker, Michael Kazuma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there could yes. be some. I mean, there's, there could be some truth to the people that ride e-bikes don't like climbing, but like being inherently lazy, it does take work to ride one. Like there, I think you'll find two different camps out there. There are other people that just want to have like a a mellow time and cruise around without putting out as much effort. But then there's people that are pushing them so i get the. i mean i think it's a but what percentage would you say are actually pushing it you know let's around here a lot percentage number i mean it depends where you live five percent four percent no it's gonna be more than that three percent yeah (laughs) i don't know i mean around here most people that i ride with on e-bikes are going pretty hard on them like not Mm. taking the hill cats like they're they're working their balls off up the hill they're pushing themselves that's like the most one of the most fun things is trying to find messed up things to go up because you can because mm. you have a motor so yeah i don't know i mean i'm sure there's just like there's lazy regular mountain bikers the ones you find on the chairlifts now you're talking my currency yeah. cats you redeemed yourself <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> i don't know i mean laziness is whatever you want it to be but i'd rather people be lazy and be outside than lazy and be inside so however they 
Yeah, it's strange though that we, you know, talking come back to the driving thing, it's lazy, um, if, you know, quote marks to ride an e-bike. But if you drive to the trails or shuttle, it's not lazy, right? You yeah, know, exactly. in terms of how. So it's all a nonsense, really. Yeah. We're all just plain dress up. Yeah, exactly. And with e-bikes, you can yeah, ideally ride from your house more often because I think that's one thing that people, everyone gets lazy. I admit it too, where you drive to the trails when it's too, you know, it doesn't take much longer just to pedal. So I'd like to see overall people ride from home. Kaz, talk, talk me through your your perfect ride. You're in the beautiful United States. E-bike ride. You've got your favorite Nickelback album on. I don't know what it is. I assume it's... No, Nickelback's a Canadian band, Henry. I'll um, let you know. We're not claiming I know, them. That's that's what you and what you and Levy bonded over so much, wasn't it? Was your love of Nickelback? No, God, it's no. Bob Seger, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Kaz, yeah. What is no, but, what does your ideal e-bike ride look like? Oh, e-bike ride we're talking about? Yeah. I just ride from home and go find some gnarly stuff and ride up some gnarly things and down some gnarly things, then ride back home. Ideally, do it a few oh. times. Well, that sounds awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Rough. <laughs> yeah, terrible. I don't know. I'm not sure what, what answer you expected there. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see anybody yeah. on e-bikes riding their bike to the mountain. Nobody. I see them driving mm-hmm. their e-bikes to the mountain because they don't want to waste. I assume they don't want to waste battery power. Well, dude, they're, they're, they're driving their e-bike on the back of their Tesla because they're the ones that really give a shit. You know what I mean? Save the world. <laughs> Save so the world. I just, I literally just, I threw away a 2018 brand new Mercedes. But, and I bought a Tesla because I care. It's like, fuck me. Get a grip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's go back to some bike brands here that I think have, these days, maybe some undeserved bad reps. Let's start with Cannondale, Crack and Fail. Now, there was a time way back in the day, I mean, Cannondale was pushing the limits with aluminum frames. They were They were welding aluminum frames in North America, and sometimes way back in the day, that didn't go super smoothly. You know, they were light. I think there were some heat treating issues. Like, you know, you go back 30 years or something. But these days, Kaz, I don't think Cannondale deserves that. Deserves no, that. Brand. I mean, we still see it. Yeah, though. I, I mean, I think just because it's like a semi-clever play on words, you know, things stick when there's, it just rhymes or it's easily, easily remembered. Then people are like, oh yeah, Cannondale, Crack and Fill, Specialized, Special Ed. Like they're just things that Mm-hmm. They just stick and then they just keep getting passed on and on whether there's truth to them or not, even if there wasn't any truth at any time. So, Yeah. Hey, Henry, what about Konas? I think if you if you go online and Google like broken Konas, there's a lot of broken Konas out there. But I, I don't believe there are any more broken Konas than anything else, yet they seem to have this rep. Yeah, what do you make of that? Totally. I mean, I think that it's really hard for a brand when you know, Kona, although they're still a bike brand now, I think that. I imagine most people had like a Kona Stinky as a rite of passage at some point, you know? They used to be, percent. I imagine their market share used to be bigger. And I think it's really hard to say if you're a small company, well, say if you're any company and you have, say, 5% failure rate, just for an example. If you make 100 frames, five people don't talk to that many people. If you make 100,000 frames, 5,000 people talk to a lot of people. And it's just, it's unfair. I mean, I also think there's something in what Kaz said about literally how how strong is the pun like snappy air is another one mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know for I mean some did break undoubtedly but it's just just the way it goes you know but I think Kona I don't know I think they get a pretty bad pretty bad pretty bad shake of it like that process I had recently was was definitely not a fragile bike that looked like it was going to crack you know yeah and I think one thing that kind of hurt Kona a little bit was for a while they were sponsoring bike parks so you would go to Whistler and you could get like the Kona Garbanzo and I know they sponsored some bike parks over in in Europe so I think having those bikes just thrashed by people that you know it's a rental so ride it like a rental so I think that probably didn't help their their image I think it's a really you got to really be confident with what you're making if you're going to have a, a bike park fleet of bikes because that's a that's a hard life for those things for any any bike mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Henry let's talk about cross-country riders when you see when you see a person dressed in a sausage suit and their legs are super smooth and shiny, they got no visor are you, on. Are you looking at me right now? <laughs> <laughs> you look good. You look good. Thanks. <laughs> is it is it fair to say that you assume they're they're a poor descender? I know. I think that used to be the way, but I think right? like last five, six, seven years, it's too much has changed in terms of the way that grassroots cross country cycling works. I mean, I'd even go further and say this idea that road cyclists aren't good descenders and you know you get one that is known 
for not being so shit hot, like maybe uh, Pino or something like that. But he's still an amazing rider. Then you take someone like Nairo Quintana or Ergen Bernal or Chris Froome, and they are, or Alaphilippe, and they are just wild. Mm-hmm. They're sent their feel for grip, and like in the same way that a downhill rider has maybe been racing their bike for 10, 15, 20 years, road cyclists have been doing it too. And so have cross country riders, and they have an amazing feel for grip. And ultimately, they wouldn't have got to that level if they weren't incredibly competitive. And I think gone are the days where you could just be a good engine and still do really well at a cross-country race at an international level. Like, you got to be a good engine and a fantastic descender. Yeah, I think things have moved on a lot, especially like where we live in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, the terrain, a lot of these people too are coming from other disciplines that have sort of rediscovered or maybe they're discovering cross-country for the first time and they're coming from enduro or downhill racing and so they have that background but i think also there's an element of when you see someone on a cross-country race you might see in the highlights reel people you know scrambling up like a not particularly technical climb and struggling or losing pace through rocks like we just see with a lecompte at the weekend but also they're riding on their limit and focus it's not a case of could you ride it if you just rolled into it from 10 meters it's the case of you've been putting Mm -hmm. out like five watts a kilo for like an hour and then you've and it's only a little short rock section but the focus is is very 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 demanding i would imagine you're cross yeah try to hold your breath for five minutes and then do something hard and then see how it goes yeah exactly Yeah. yeah 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 henry you wrote on our list here chinese carbon can you tell me about that yeah i suppose <laughs> the idea that sometimes when like a lot of carbon is made in the far east but this idea that's oh cheap chinese carbon like anything i don't know you don't one you don't know where it's made you're just assuming it's ch- chinese secondly it's almost let's face it it's like it's meant like derogatively like oh god that's not going to be as good as american carbon or european carbon when actually probably most of the carbon is made in the same place that you're not you know the non-distinct place you're referring to when you say china you mean just anywhere in the east and by that you mean inherently worse and i think that's bullshit yeah i would i would agree with that we get these carbon bikes from all over the world and they're light and stiff and reliable and they work just fine so steel is real though kaz isn't it it's a real type of material yeah it exists (laughs) give me more than that kaz (laughs) i mean that's another one we used to hear that with hardtails you know there was it doesn't seem to be as common anymore but there was a time maybe because not as many people are riding hardtails as there used to be but it was steel had this magical allure to it that was just kind of like that's what you need it's got this compliance it's you know aluminum's too harsh you can never make a good hardtail out of aluminum i think these days we've we both know or all of us know that that's not really the case like there is something to be said for steel as a material and it has its own properties but um yeah there's no reason that aluminum or carbon or anything doesn't work as well also but did we have any steel bikes on the value field test we did not i think these days there's not a lot of cheaper steel hardtail frames i think it tends to be like the more of the boutique um builders or they're kind of the more hardcore hard you, like you know did you ever get on one over here like planet x on one that was a big thing in the uk uh, you get like a steel frame for like 150 quid yeah we don't think they made it trail centers were awash with them mm. yeah we had i went through dmrs like dmr sidekicks which were, mm. I think mm. they were like $400 steel frames at the time. And you could kind of like when the rear ends bent, you could kind of straighten them. And yeah, they were, <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, Sounds... let me put it this way. They were a lot nicer to ride than like a big tubed aluminum dirt jump frame of some kind. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and these so are like a steel, a steel for it. Yeah. And you still see a lot of steel dirt jumpers too, I guess I'd say, but yeah, I think that debate's kind of fizzled out a little bit. I tell you what, a cliche that hasn't fizzled out, and it just is the gift that keeps on giving. It's the video intro that's coffee going on, goal straps being pulled. My oh favorite. my! The slow motion God, goggles, the goggle straps. Like you put your goggles on, and you can see. Goggles. Step on the pedals. I mean, it's I get, funny I because it, stuff. you know, like I'd say, a good example of how to kind of maybe handle cliche is like the old james bond films the cliches are like nauseating the new james bond films is kind of a bit grittier and they kind of reference them in a tongue-in-cheek manner like you can use sort of 
formats that have been used before but it's the like lack of self-awareness like oh god the goggle straps that just like no one's ever thought of this before it's yeah. gonna be the perfect set no, for a good show <laughs> that's gonna be great <laughs> you know what i'm i I, un- I agree with you but now that i've also made hundreds and hundreds of mountain biking videos <laughs> and then when you need to make one and you need to think up like an intro and an outro I could see how you would end up just like slow motion, like making some coffee, pulling your shoes on. Yeah, I could see it. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah but I'd rather just it start, just like go from like go from black to just get into the action right away. Sp- speaking of action right away, what about reviews the day after the first ride? There's definitely some truth to that cliche, Kaz. Can you tell? Can you tell people why? Yeah, well, see how I guess that that comes from when sometimes there'd be a. It's like a press release comes out announcing something and we do have the review the next day. I think that happened a couple of times and then people started thinking that we were going to do it always. Um, we try to yeah. either do it where a review comes out the day the product launches, like we've ideally had it for a few months ahead of time, or otherwise the product launches and the review comes further down the road. But um, yeah, I, I, I wish I could remember exactly which article that one came from, but I think there was something where the, the timing just worked out that the press release happened and then the review came the next day. Yeah, I think there's usually a few of them every year, to be honest. And it, it is exactly that. It's just an embargo. So, I mean, the embargo lifts and we want our review to go up. So <laughs> that's that's how it works. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I remember how it came about. No, this is more to do with like those spotted articles that we do. So a lot of times what will happen is like the, the bike will be at the race, whether it's a World Cup or something. And then we have the spotted article that an editor writes. And then another editor has been riding the bike and has a review ready for like the mm. next day. So that does happen sometimes. So that's, that's what, and it's obviously on purpose. Like the brand wants the bike to get attention at this race. They're not ready to have all the details come out until the Monday after the race. So yeah, that's a, that's a cliched approach I'd say, but it's going to happen and keeps happening. Let's, let's wrap up this long list of cliches with one of my favorite. There's definitely some truth to it. Looks like a session. Henry, why do all the bikes look like a session? This is real. There's definitely some truth to this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, I think it depends because you can have a bike that is completely different in in terms of its like what it's trying to achieve, etc. But if it has a vertical shock, then of course, of course, it looks like a session. It couldn't, it couldn't do anything else. But I think it comes from the time where you know when it, I think the phrase started banding about. You had some kind of different looking downhill bikes you had things like that demo with just stays everywhere you had things like i don't know like bikes like the gambler which looked quite unrefined and then bikes started to look more refined and a lot of them started to look like they were taken on the the session you know they looked like they're trying to take adopting the look but of course they were just looking more refined and the session was one of the more refined bikes initially and so and so the legend was born i quite like it because it's sometimes it's so cliched that it can be quite cutting and quite most of the time 90% of the time it's awful but 10% of the time it can catch you and it it, it can be okay yeah there's there's only so many ways to design a bike and it just happens that having a rocker link compressing the shock a vertical shock from above you know it makes a lot of sense when these bikes (laughs) don't even have swing arms they're they're like they're like a four bar so it looks like a session and it's like but it's not it's a completely different design yeah (laughs) All right, we're going to move on to comment gold and wrap this podcast up. Henry, this comment was on your article about those new Gelfer rotors, the Shark rotors. MBI77 says, are the small cross-country rotors called Baby Shark? Do, 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 do. Do you guys know where that's from? Do, mm-hmm. You do Baby Shark? The yeah, Baby Shark dance? Yeah. I didn't. I had no idea. I'd never heard it before. <laughs> that, that, you, it, it's the most viewed video on YouTube ever. It's like billions and billions is of it views. really yeah, yeah it's got I like 10 it's billion six, views 10 billion yeah it's crazy it's crazy i had no idea i tell you what was a, a comment that really made me laugh it was on my uh 510 review for those gore-tex shoes and johnny two shoes said my happiness is not invulnerable to henry and his bloody double negatives yes <laughs> <laughs> and it's fair because sometimes man i talk so much waffle and i box myself into so much corners yeah and that really made me laugh yeah. i've got to say All right, everybody, that's it for episode 117 about mountain biking cliches. I feel like we probably missed a whole bunch. So if you've got something that we didn't say, post it in the comment section below. Maybe we'll read it next week's podcast. Maybe we won't. 
As always, remember to like and subscribe. There's that cliche again. And give it a good rating. Share it with your friends. And we'll see you guys for episode 118 next week. Bye.